This week on Up in the Blue Seats, we have a double dose of iconic Ranger guest on the show. Hall of Fame Ranger beat writer Larry Brooks and I chat with Hall of Fame Ranger great Rod Gilbert. Larry and I also interview Rangers legend Barry Beck. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Welcome to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. If you use Apple, rate the show five stars, and please write a nice review. All reviews, positive reviews, are appreciated. New episodes are released Wednesday afternoons. We got a big show today. Rod and Larry Brooks are joined by two Rangers greats, Rod Gilbert and Barry Beck. Speaking of Ron, here he is, the star of the show, number 10, Ron Duguay. Yes, hi, everyone. And I have a level of excitement right now because I feel like sports is in the air. In fact, if you like baseball, you can be watching uh, South Koreans playing on ESPN. If you like golf, they're talking about starting in June. And if you like hockey like we do, uh, they're talking about having a draft in June and possibly sometime in June that the players would be getting together, having a training camp, and by July, we may see a start time. So, having said all that, I'm excited to chat this week with the Rangers' all-time point leader and Hall of Fame, my good friend, Rod Gilbert. We're going to talk about his auction. He's involved with Brian Leach, where it's uh, they're raising money for a charity. It's called All In Challenge, so we're going to talk about that. That's part of the interview, and the other part of the interview will be aired next week, so stay tuned to that on our podcast next week. Also, we have a riveting and emotional interview with Rangers legend, a friend of mine, Barry Beck, talking about what it was like for him and what it's like for him to be in Hong Kong right now, his career, his conversations with Mark Pavlich. As we all know, we've been talking about Mark. He's had his issues. So Larry Brooks will join me for both interviews. So sit back and enjoy two Ranger legends right here on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. My first guest today played 17 years in the NHL, all with the New York Rangers. He played over a thousand games with over a thousand points, and that earned him a place in the Hockey Hall of Fame and his jersey being retired forever at Madison Square Garden. Welcome, my friend, the very likable fan favorite, Rod Gilbert. Rod, welcome to our well, show. Hi, Ronnie. How, how's everybody up there in, the, in your neck of the wood? Because in New York, it's quite uh, it's quite the scene. You know, like you hear ambulance all over the darn place. And, uh, you know, everybody is like, keeping their distance. And we're wearing masks. I basically set up uh, in my apartment. And uh, we, try to, we try to help uh, as many people as we can, you know. Raise, raise a few funds, you know, for uh, well, this charity that I, I'm. Uh, what happened is they, they they came to the Rangers and they asked the president of the Rangers, John Davidson, to help out. And I guess with uh, Mr. Jim Dolan, they came up with the idea to do this promotion. Uh, the 1994 play a game at the Garden that appealed to me. That was a great item. So I said, what can I do? So what happened is I called John Davidson and I asked him, you know, like what what we do sometimes. Ronnie helps me with it. Uh, we do. Uh, we we get a suite and we buy get uh, sixteen to twenty people in there, and then we tell stories. We give the insights of the game, and you know we do trivia questions, <laughs> and, and we've got good.
good stories, right, Ronnie? Yes, Ron. So this, what you're talking about here is all in challenge, all in challenge by fanatics. Jake, why don't you give us the details of all in challenge? Yeah, we'll be tweeting out the link and I know Ron, you've already tweeted it, but if you want a chance to uh, go to a Rangers game with Rod and Brian Leach, plus a ton of autograph gear, the current bids at 13,000 and 16 people. So if you don't have 16 friends, find 15 strangers to join you. Uh, it's a, it's a hell of a party. And the best part of it is Rod that you guys are doing is a hundred percent of the money raised through the game auction. will go directly to feeding America meals on wheels, world central kitchen and no kid hungry. So it seems like a hell of an opportunity for any Rangers fan to have a hell of a night. Once we're allowed, you know, together again and not six feet apart. Yeah, that's sweet. That's sweet. By the way, uh, is they all uh, catered, you know, with food. And then not only that, everybody's going to leave with, with some goodies, you know, like Brian Leach and myself are going to sign a jersey, a Rod Gilbert jersey signed by both of us for every single guest. We're also going to give like a, a Hall of Fame puck to everybody. And also one of the winner of the bid will receive a, an autograph stick, a Rod Gilbert autograph stick. And also will receive a framed Leroy Neiman uh, of me, signed by me and uh, uh, Leroy Neiman. The reason I'm doing this is because All In Challenge was created to uh, feed the people that are less fortunate, you know, like they're they're in crisis. And then uh, All In Challenge fanatic, they're challenging every athlete, every sports team, celebrities, artists to join the All In Challenge. And it's to provide food to those in need during the coronavirus crisis. Okay, so it's a great cause. I challenged a couple of my friends at the end, uh, you know, when I did the video to promote it. I challenged Boomer Esiason and David Cohn, and I challenged Joe Namath. So I don't know if they're going to do it, but, uh, you know, hopefully they can help as well. You know, go to the uh, All In Challenge uh, site, you know, allinchallenge.com, and then print Rod Gilbert in there, and you'll see a video, a two-minute video of what I'm offering with Brian Leach that night, and you you probably be in town too, Ronnie, so you can stop by, you know, and then and then we're gonna have uh, one great day. But I I miss hockey. Tell you the truth, like you say, you you and I saw each other a lot at the garden, and and it's like my my home. It's my sec second home. So um, I can't wait until they start again, and so we can go cheer the Rangers on. Yes, Rada, I I can't agree with you more. Trust me, we're gonna have a big ass party when this is all over. At one point, we're gonna have some fun and root the Rangers on, and and it is a fun team to watch. And uh, so the building will be rocking again sometime in the future. My next guest played 10 years in NHL. Seven of those 10 years, he played for the New York Rangers. Over a 1,000 penalty minutes. Welcome former captain of the New York Rangers, Barry Beck. Barry, welcome to the show. Hi, Dukes. You are still as good-looking as ever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, my friend. Listen, I know that you're in Hong Kong right now. We appreciate your time. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is that we've been chatting up uh, Mark Pavlich, and I know you've stayed in touch with him. I don't want to get to Mark right now. I would just like to know about Barry Beck and what life has been like for you. You're in Hong Kong. You've been teaching hockey there. What's life been like for you, let's say, in the last couple of months? 
Well, the last couple of months have been, have been pretty tough, really globally around the world with the, uh, the pandemic and the coronavirus really striking uh, almost every country. So we uh, uh, had it pretty well under control in Hong Kong, even though we're a part of China, we're in a special administrative region. So it's quite different than being in mainland China. And uh, during uh, uh, December 12th, uh, I had taken a, a youth hockey team up to Wuhan. So I was in Wuhan for four days, and so were the kids, obviously, and the parents, and we came back, and uh, fortunately, nobody got sick, but the outbreak started happening around that time. We've really taken precautions here in Hong Kong, and there's been no new cases, I think, now in over 10 days, and so they're going to relax restrictions. We're going to get back playing hockey. It's been a couple months now since we've been off, and the kids are anxious to get back uh, to their activities. It's been pretty tough because, you know, eight months beforehand, before the virus, we had the protests, and there was a bit of a protest happening again on the weekend. So already, with the virus not even gone, the protesters are back. So it's been pretty tough the past nine months in Hong Kong, but I love it here. It reminds me a lot of New York City. I love teaching at our academy. We have around 900 kids. We're just anxious to get back going right now like everybody else. Barry, why don't you back up a little bit because a lot of our listeners right now are Ranger fans, a lot of them. They still uh, love to talk the 70s and 80s and our time in New York together and, and Herb Brooks. They, a lot of them don't know your story, how you ended up in Hong Kong. Why don't you share that for everyone? Well, I was living in Vancouver. I got a phone call from a Vancouver policeman and uh, they play on a police team that came over to Hong Kong and played in a tournament every year and then through their corresponding with a man here that ran the tournament, a businessman here, Mr. Thomas Wu, we started some back and forth dialogue. Uh, they were looking for somebody to start a hockey academy here in Hong Kong and that was 13 years ago now and uh, so I was looking for somebody else for them for the job but the more I talked to them, the more I seemed interested because I grew up with a lot of Chinese kids in uh, uh, in my neighborhood, it was mostly Italian Chinese, and uh, so, and I think for me spiritually, it was a move that I wanted to uh, to to seek. So I really enjoyed their vision of Mr. Mr. Wu's vision. He is now one of three vice presidents of the IHF and oversees uh, Asia and the Oceanas, which is New Zealand and Australia. So for me, uh, we're going to be moving into a new rink the next year, and we're excited about that. One thing in Hong Kong is is it expensive for ice? We have quite a few challenges. You know, the climate, it's a warm climate. Keeping kids interested in these activities is difficult, uh, especially when their education, academic, come first. Barry, um, you were um, second pick overall, so obviously you were a big-time player as, 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 a, as a teenager, and, and people around the league knew of your profile. But I think when you were introduced essentially to the world was when you were named to the Challenge Cup team in 79 that played at the Garden. And I know that's when you jumped onto the Rangers radar right then at the Garden playing. And it was kind of like you, Larry Robinson, Poirier Salming, Dennis Potvin, um, and, and you're the kid. So I'm, I'm wondering, what was it like for you to be in that kind of a situation? You, you, you were not even finished your second year in the NHL, and here you were on this all-star team playing against the uh, Soviet Union. What was the feeling like for you to be on that team and and did you feel that elevated you because you were playing with so many great players and and future hall of famers it was crazy to be able to play with all those players i mean those a lot of those players were my idols uh, growing up and it was so exciting to play in Madison square garden and i really got the feel for playing 
at the garden for the first time because when I did come in with Colorado, I never did get that feeling. But playing in this uh, and, the, and that Challenge Cup was so exciting for me to just to work with all those players and be able to play with them. And and I, I wasn't intimidated by it at all. I, I went out and, uh, I mean, I, play a, I played a power game or tried to play a power game and, and could add offense. And uh, so I was a player that I thought could, could do many things and, and had meant many good qualities in it that I could help not only that team, although we did lose the last game, I sort of first got my my first taste of New York City then, then as well, too. And actually, because I was there, I was writing and I was covering, that's when the Rangers, be, you know, that's when the idea germinated for the Rangers to go out and get you. And of course, the rest of that season, they go on to the finals and the summer comes and the next season begins. And there's a lot of talk about the Rangers getting Barry Beck and the Rangers going after Barry Beck. The deal, the deal was a pretty public deal for a while. It was out there for a while. And were you excited to come to New York? And the second half of that is the Rangers had been a successful team. They'd gone to the finals and they traded three pretty big pieces of that team to get you. So when you came to New York, I'm wondering what the feeling was. Did you recognize that, you know, the the group had lost three of their good friends? And what was it like for you coming in, trying to fit in with a team that was successful, moving from, you know, Colorado to New York, where you were going to be in a, in a, you know, in the spotlight as you were actually, basically every game you played for the Rangers, you were in the spotlight. That was a, a tough part for me, Larry, was being traded for that many players and then trying to fit into the team. I knew that obviously the team expected a lot from me and they went to the finals the year before. And so they were certainly expecting Expecting to wanting to go to the finals again the following year and then the following years after that. That's one thing that I expected from myself also as a player. In playing junior hockey, we won the Canadian Junior Championships and Memorial Cup, and I was on a member of the newest Mr. Bruins that, that won that uh, championship. And uh, so it just seemed a natural step for me. The next step was the Stanley Cup. So I was shocked when I first got traded. Uh, Don Cherry was a coach in Colorado. When he came in and told me I was traded, I just had talked the night before to Ray Miron, and he told me that I wasn't going to be traded because there had been rumors, like you said, the Rangers were in town in Colorado. And when the trade was made, all I did was just pick up my my uh, my equipment from our dressing room and just move down to the visitor's dressing room where I played that night. But the day I did get traded, I mean, I sort of had a good cry with my girlfriend and, and said, uh, I don't think I want to go. I don't, I don't think I want to play in New York. I, we have a good young team here in Colorado. I'd like to try and stick it out. So I didn't answer the phone all that night and thought about it, waited till the next day, then started sort of slowly putting the pieces together and realized this was a original 16 playing at the Garden. It's different playing on the East Coast than it is it was at Colorado or even on the West Coast at that time. It was a lot tougher. The fans were tougher. So you're going to have to play big every night. So it took me it took me a couple of years to really learn that. Once I did, then I could exert myself, feel more like part of the team. You know, have we had a couple of team meetings where we talked about it and talked about what each individual player had to do and their role. Then I said what my role had to be and my role had to be playing a power player and try and lead the team to the Stanley Cup. And for me, and that was the only deem that, or that was the only thing that would make the trade seem like it was a success is I had to be and lead the team to a Stanley Cup. So I didn't think it was a lot of pressure. I thought it was my job. I took it that way. 
and tried to do that. And then I, unfortunately, I started running into the shoulder injuries really when I was in my prime. And our team was really battling there in the early 80s. Islanders were, were so tough the first four years. And then, bang, the Oilers were right there next. So if you weren't on those two teams in eight years or so, then you didn't win. So, so it was a tough adjustment for me to make. But since Ron Gresham let me sleep on his couch for two weeks, and I'm still getting over the back pain that that caused me. <laughs> but it's good. To, it's good to talk to Dukes. I haven't talked to Dukes in a while. I see him sometimes. I, the only shot I see of him is in him in his bedroom, and I think that's where he must do all his Skype from. And I don't know. It, it, it's starting to look a little uh, a little offside, Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry, some you know how some things haven't changed, right? <laughs> so yeah. I'm still in my bedroom. That's a comfort place for me. <laughs> that's your that's your comfort place, yeah. Yeah. Listen, Barry, I kind of have a follow-up, and I think you might have answered my question. I, what I was going to ask you, you and I are both in the same draft year, 1977. We're both in the first round. You go earlier than me. You go to Colorado. I end up in New York. And when I got to New York, I felt like, wow, yeah, this is me. So I guess my question was, for Barry Beck, big Barry Beck, ending up not in a big hockey market, Colorado, did you feel – like this is where I want to be, feel comfortable here. Or was, was that enough for you versus uh, being in maybe in New York or Toronto or Montreal? Was Colorado enough for you when you first got drafted there? Oh yeah, it was more than enough because I got to play so much. I mean, I was playing power play, killing penalty, really doing it all. So if I would have went to one of those other teams like Montreal, I had talked to Montreal before the draft, and I I didn't want to play in Montreal because at the age of sixteen, a Montreal scout said that I would never play in the NHL. So so I always hated Montreal after that. So I didn't want to go there. And uh, being in Colorado, I mean, it reminded me a lot of British Columbia with the with the Rocky Mountains. And, and it was just outdoors. And we had a young team. And it was my first year in the NHL. And, you know, I had a big year. It just seemed like everybody played their position so much better. And uh, it seemed easier to do things. So I don't want to say that playing in the NHL, making this from 1920 to or from 20 is a easy thing to do. It's not. But I enjoyed my time there and uh, wore a cowboy hat, cowboy boots. I was a big fan and friends with the Denver Broncos that went to went to the Super Bowl one of the two years I was there, 70, maybe 78, I think. I really loved it. And the city was growing and uh, I mean, when you go back to Colorado now and go back to Denver, it's completely different, of course, than it was in, in the late 70s. But that was a big step for me to, to learning about the NHL. So I watched, I learned. I do remember, dudes, when we came to New York and you, the, the veterans had given you your haircut and you were skating around in warm-up and all the fans were cheering for you, for you. And you did have a helmet on and then you took your helmet off and then you had a little crew cut there, which was sort of nice. Looked like a little sailor boy. Looks good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust me. I uh, for me to wear a helmet, I was really embarrassed because I hated wearing helmets. But I, you know, I thought, you know what, I may get away with it. And yeah, sure enough, in warm up, because it got out in the news, and I, I don't know who had written it in the paper, which paper it was at the time. But you know, they were expecting me. The fans were expecting me to see this new hairdo I had. And it was embarrassing to me, but I got over it. And the bottom line is I could still be a hockey player and I can still have fun off the ice. We did a lot of that. Yeah. Listen, Barry, so I, I guess it leads into our time together in New York and, and our coach, Herb Brooks. People ask me who is my favorite 
coach in the NHL. And I always say Herb Brooks, although he ended up trading me. I, I just felt like Herbie. I play my best hockey under Herbie because he kind of released me to free will, puck control and that sort of thing. And I scored 40 goals underneath him who had a good season. And so my question to you with the coaching that you're doing now, is there stuff that you've taken from uh, her being your coach, because I'm assuming you've enjoyed having Coach uh, Herbie as your coach. Also, is there stuff that you take from him that you teach now? Yeah, well, I I loved Herb in the way that he coached and, and the way that you said that he released you. Well, he released everybody, and he released all five, five players on the ice to really attack and really to be good in transition. So when the puck is turned over, you must attack and attack with speed. And you know, so that's some of the things that I. I try and teach here is is the pace of the game and and then checking uh, which is important to me you know I look at things defensively I like to re- release release speed you got to have speed and then you got to have knowledge of the game so we have a, a partnership with the Swedish Ice Hockey Association where they'll come over and they'll do coaching clinics and official clinics for our adult leagues here and then also help our help out our younger players on the ice and uh, so this has been a very good partnership with us and uh, of course, you know, Sweden is uh, one of the top countries in the world. And uh, so we're very close with them and we do a lot of exchanges and uh, we'll see how far that leads uh, down the road. But so far, it's been a great relationship with us. Yeah, I do. I do try and take little things that, that I learned from her and uh, I do try and implement them in our own program here. Barry, you uh, mentioned a, a bit ago about how the shoulder injuries got to you uh, later on and obviously the the big one came in the fourth game of the um, 84 series against the Islanders. And, you know, with, with no hockey being played now, MSG is showing a lot of old games. And of course that game five against the Islanders where Kenny Morrow scores in overtime has been shown a few times, but you guys are in position to knock them off in game four. You're up two one in the series. You're tied with 10 minutes to go. You go into the corner, Pat Flatley goes into the corner and you emerge with an injury. I guess you never really got over again, the rest of your career. So when you look back at all, was, was there, is there a feeling that you guys were on were a right there and you kind of got cheated because you got injured you couldn't finish that game you couldn't play in game five or is it just something that you look at as part of sports and that's it yeah i, I don't look at it as i i got cheated because you know i've, I've learned a lot about failures uh, uh, when you do look at my career being in new york i mean that was a big part of that so I have grown as a person through that, and I have been able to help other people and uh, other players to realize that uh, you're going to have a lot more failures than you will successes. For me, that was a big failure. I mean, I watched that clip of me going into the corner with Pat Flatley, and it's a big hit. I just saw him coming at the last last second, and I couldn't square up my shoulder. And so it was just sort of a blur him coming. And then for me, I went to hit him. I saw a body coming, so I go, okay, I'm going to lean into him and my shoulder wasn't square and that through that hit uh, it's a pretty big collision if you watch it closely I mean obviously I felt the, the broken bone in my AC joint right away I tried to go back out to the front of the net and then they somehow scored and, and that was it for me for the series and and over the past couple of years after that you know it was just rehab play 10 games get hurt back into rehab and same thing so went through that 
for a couple of years, and then Ted Sater came along. Herb Herb left, and, and everything was different. And and, du- and Dukes had left also, and Eddie Meal also, Eddie Johnstone. So the dynamics of the team were changing. But I always thought, yeah, we were close that game, and if we could have got by him, maybe I would have had a chance to come back. And so I sort of looked at it like that at that point. Uh, but we didn't have that time. Then I just had problems with it from there on after that. That is something that I think about quite often because, I mean, I had a dream as a kid to, to win the Stanley Cup. And, and so when uh, I get a little sad when I think about it. And, uh, I mean, haven't been in a deep state of depression over it, maybe a little bit the odd time. But, yeah, I really look at my time in New York as very valuable experience for me. And it was tough to come out of there not being the same, not being that Mark Messier guy that could have led the Rangers after 40 years to a cup. I would have loved to have the opportunity to do that. And I think I could have done that if I would have stayed healthy. I think eventually it could have been a part of something that was as great as the 94 Ranger team. Well, Barry, I'm going to just share with you something that you may or may not need to hear. I know uh, recently I've been talking to Dave Maloney and Gresh, your teammates, and it's not something we had talked about in the past, but we we went back in time and talked about uh, our run 79 to the finals and then the following year, the big trade. And the one thing that we had talked about, and I, you need to know this, there was no resentment on our part whatsoever when our teammates were traded uh, and you came to town. We were excited about having you. And I think that there was never any uh, kind of uh, talk of um, what of this or what of that. Uh, we were happy to have you. We all became good friends. We saw how hard you competed, how hard you played. You played a power game that you would defend any of us. So we loved having you in New York. And I know you've been hard on yourself over not winning the Stanley Cup, but when you're a power player, you get hurt. You know, that's just kind of life. You get good bounces and bad bounces. And when I talk to fans about you, they love you. And so I hope that you're you're not still hard on yourself because you gave 100%. I saw firsthand how you competed, how you played hard in practice. You took it seriously. You were a captain. You're a captain for a reason. So I, I guess I just need to share that with you because I, I just don't want you to be hard on yourself because, listen, there's things I can be hard on myself. I wish I would have played 10 years in for the New York Rangers, but I messed up and Herb traded me away. But, I, I you know, it is it is what it is. So I just wanted you to know that because Gresh and I and Dave, we talked about you recently and it's all good. So so having said that, I would just want to move forward and talk about another teammate who's not as fortunate, and that's Mark Pavlish. And I know you've been talking about to Pav. You've been communicating with him. We talked about him in our last show. So can you give us an update on what's going on recently with Mark? Yeah, I, I can do. First of all, let me let me take the first part of your, your sort of statement there. And I thank you for for saying that to me and you talking with, with Dave and Loney and Gresh and Tommy Laidlaw. And so that feels good. I never felt resentment from any of the players. I just felt that I wasn't playing the way that I needed to play in the first couple of years. And that sort of sort of left me a little bit isolated, even though, you know, we, we had a lot of fun living in New York City and going up to practice together and all the stories. And I really needed to start to concentrate on my game and put more time in at practice time and really de- devote myself and be more committed if 
I was going to change around as a player and to become the leader of the team. Uh, and, and that's what I wanted to do. That was sort of one of my goals when I came to New York was try to be the captain of the team and be the leader. And uh, so that feels good uh, that uh, that you guys think of me that way. And I mean, I'm not that hard on myself where I keep thinking about it over and over again of those years because I had a lot, a lot of great memories from those years. And one of those was playing with you and Pav and all the other players and teammates that we had then under Herb, how fun the game was. I mean, I think you were a lot lot better player than people give you credit for when you watch you play in those the older games uh uh dudes i know you're you're still in great shape and still fit and and still doing your skype out of the bedroom and i love it that's that's the reason why i watch the show whenever you're on skype i try and see you as much as possible but i think with mark and knowing him in new york how quiet a guy he was you know he was by himself and left alone all of them all by himself and and that was always seemed odd to everybody it seemed odd because he was a, a gold medal uh, winner at Lake Placid and probably the biggest upset in sports history and he was a big part of that team then it came to our team afterwards through the years you know when you don't see people a lot of things happen and uh, you know he was the kind of player that wasn't only just creative but he went into the corners to get the puck and not a big guy and when you go into the corners you're going to take some punishment so so he did suffer, I know, at least two concussions while he was in New York. And after one of them, I don't know if it was the first or the second one, but he didn't seem like the same player to me. So through the years, and recently, I think the last time I saw him was maybe 10 years ago, I hadn't kept in contact with him. Then I saw the story on Facebook about him being arrested and the problem that he had with his neighbor. And I was able to get a hold of his sister, Jean, and uh, talk more to her about past history over the... Uh, uh, last five, six years and how he was acting erratically in his neighborhood and how he's a hometown hero in Eveleth in Minnesota and the police sort of looked the other way when he got into any trouble. So it's manifested and, and got worse and brought that to the incident that happened when he was arrested. I think for us, obviously, TTE is a word that the NHL doesn't want to talk about. None of the NHL teams want to talk about it. You mention it, nobody will call you back. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be your best friend. He's just going to point you in a different direction because a lot of them, like dudes, a lot of them, like you and other players, work for NHL teams and they don't want anything to do with that or you to speak publicly about it. Although they are getting on board now with mental health. I mean, it affects a lot of people. USA Mental Health Association stats are one out of one out of four. One out of four people walking around have some type of mental disorder. And uh, I mean, there's a long list that you can go through from depression to anxiety to OCD to eating disorders to, to many types of mental illness. And it really starts with educating our youth and the stigma behind mental health. Mark, you know, talking to Mark on the phone quite often, he'll sound very normal, but then he'll act erratically when the evaluate when the evaluators are trying to evaluate him. He won't answer their questions. And that was when he first went into the facility, into the psychiatric facility in St. Peter, Minnesota. So now he knows through his new lawyers that you better listen and you better do what the evaluators tell you. Take the medication that they want you to take and see if that helps him become more social. Because that's what we're trying to do, which is going to be so tough. This will be his aftercare once he is out there is his socialization really into society because he's always been the exact opposite. He's not wanted to really have any part of society whatsoever. 
So he can he can help a lot of people. We've talked about him writing a book on his life, and and there has been uh, a few documentary offers that have come his way. And Gene is Gene is really sorting all that out. Clint Malarchuk has been a big help. Tom Gorns also from the the Flyers that played dudes when we played. He played in the early '80s, and and he's been very helpful. So we did have more players on board to begin with, but then you know they sort of said I sort of have my job, and I'm working with the team, and so I really can't be involved. We weren't so much about the voice of CTE, but we do want to do research on CTE and, and have it as not as a bad word in the NHL. As we want to have it as a, a word that they'll look after and they'll try and help out with and help out with the research. The Alumni Association, which is helping Mark right now uh, with Glenn Hilly, they won't talk about a lot. We, we don't talk about the court case and his appearance publicly at all. They are helping, but in the very beginning, when it happened, there was no support for Mark, for his family. Nobody called him. Nobody called his family. Nobody from the NHL. Nobody from the Rangers. And I thought, I thought somebody should have been doing that. At least, you know, you have a player that played for you. At least call and say, hey, we're worried about you. We hope we're going to be okay. But nobody did that. So I was disappointed in that. And so I've been Mark's voice through this time because I, I speak to him every two, three days. And some days are good. Some days are funny. We always try and crack a few jokes, but I know he'll he'll love that I got a chance to talk with both of you, uh, uh, Dukes and Larry. I know we always we all respected Larry as a writer and the beat writer on the you know, when we were with the Rangers and his writing uh, throughout the years has been very very good and um, telling the story of the Rangers and really keeping a lot of those players still in people's minds through those years when the team did go to the finals and then afterwards losing to the Islanders in overtime. In there, those years against the Islanders, we made strides to get better and we were getting quite even with them. And they were having to change a little bit after their dynasty. They started to change, uh, break down their team. Then, like I said, the Oilers were right there. But Mark was a great player, great creativity. He's a kind, soft human being that's involved in a lot of trouble right now. And just him trying to understand everything is one thing that we want him to comprehend, is that he's got to go along with evaluators if he wants to get out of there where he is right now because that place where he is is driving him crazy. And the only way to get out is to listen to the evaluators and lawyers because his next hearing won't be until July. So we hope during that hearing that, that, that that's when they'll move him to another facility. And that's what we've been working on. So I've tried to be his voice. I put statements out on our conversations as private as they are. I can put a little bit out there because all of the phone calls uh, are being monitored. So we can't really dig in too deep of what we want to talk about. But it's still just good to hear his voice all the time. He was in trouble. I just felt I was obligated to try and do something about it. As if it happened to you, Dukes, I would have done the same thing. I would have tried to get in contact with somebody and, and say, okay, well, let's see how we can help them. And right away, we got to talk to the family. So, And that's what I did in this case. I got a hold of his sister. I've talked with his mother. Just tried to let them know that they do have support because it's not easy for someone to go through this. And there's got to be a lot of other families that are going through it, not only here, but the European players also. So I think from my perspective that everything seems to get pushed down to the Alumni Association. The NHL doesn't want to talk about it. NHLPA doesn't want to talk about it. So they give it to the Alumni Association to handle. So we'll 
we'll see what happens with the with the hearing in July. So, you know, of course, some things are put back, court cases because of the virus and, and everything sort of put on hold for Mark. That's real tough on him. You know, he does receive phone calls from some good people and he has a lot of support, we know, from Ranger fans and, and other fans around the world. And so for us, I would really like to see him tell his story because there's a lot of trauma that he went through and it was never, ever addressed early in his life and later in his life. And I think everybody needs some help sometime. So let's hope that he gets the help he needs. Barry, this is Larry. I just wanted to to tell you that, you know, it's really been a pleasure talking to you again after after all this time. And just to let you know, I mean, obviously I get emails from Ranger fans all the time for years and years. And I, I can tell you there is a huge amount of affection among Ranger fans for you. You know, if you ever come back uh, to the garden, it, it'll be a great day, I know, for them because I get emails and message, uh, messages on social media all the time about Barry Beck and how, how popular you are among the fans. So I just want to leave that with with you and tell you how much I respect uh, the work you've been doing. Yeah, thanks, Larry. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. And Barry, we're, we're going to leave it at that on a positive note. And so we, uh, I know I'm speaking to, uh, I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of alumni in, in, in our fan base that uh, we appreciate uh, what you've been doing for PAV. And, and I guess all you can say is once a captain, always a captain. And so thank you, Barry. Thank you for your time. We wish you well. And we got to talk again. All right. Thanks, my friend. Yeah. Thanks, dudes. Good to hear you. Good to put the, the voice with the face again. And like I said, brings back a lot of great memories. So thanks very much for having me on the show. I really just like to say that I was really proud to be the captain of the New York Rangers. And that was a great period of my life. And so that's what I think about is how I was, I was able to achieve that. So that I'm proud of. And uh, the failures come along with life. So you got to take it as it comes and then move on. I got too many other things to do to worry about it too much. But let's hope that there is some type of season or playoffs, at least to get some type of feeling of the game back globally and people start watching hockey again and loving the game. All right. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Thanks Barry. Thanks, Dukes. Thanks, Larry. Episode 23 of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen. If using Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars and write a nice review, please. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at RonDuguet10. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe, everybody. Chat with you all next week.